0: Hey, it's Nathan, and this is day 78 of the Bible in 90 Days. We're in John chapter 6 through 15. By the way, the first chapter, John 6, is a chapter well worth reading, and it is essentially themed around the opening story, Jesus feeding a crowd of thousands, the men alone totaling 5,000, from five small barley loaves and two small fish that a boy had brought with him. Found in all four of the Gospels, it's a bit more detailed here in John. This miracle is followed by the disciples getting into a boat and being caught in a strong wind on the open water. Jesus came to them, walking on the water, and they were frightened. But he said to them, It is I, do not be afraid. He gets in, the storm stills, and the boat arrives immediately at its destination. The next morning, the crowd who'd been miraculously fed the day before find him, hoping for more. Very truly, I tell you, you are looking for me, not because you saw the signs I performed, but because you ate the loaves and had your fill. Do not work for food that spoils, but for food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give you. Then they asked him, what must we do to do the works God requires? Jesus answered, the work of God is this, to believe in the one he has sent. This interaction turns into an extended discussion on salvation. Jesus declaring, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never go hungry, and whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. Jesus' words create immediate fallout, especially as he clarifies, Very truly, I tell you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise them up at the last day. Ultimately, many of his disciples turned back and no longer followed him. Chapter 7 begins, After this, Jesus went around in Galilee. He did not want to go about in Judea because the Jewish leaders there were looking for a way to kill him. Around this time, Jesus' brothers invite him to go to the Festival of Tabernacles to give his ministry increased visibility. He responded, My time is not yet here. For you, any time will do. Later, however... Jesus did go to the feast and began to teach, amazing the religious elite. How did this man get such learning without having been taught? This was followed by an argument over the origin of Jesus' teaching and then over his healing on the Sabbath, including this line from Jesus, Stop judging by mere appearances, but instead judge correctly. Then, an argument over the legitimacy and future of Jesus' ministry, including an effort by the religious elite to have him arrested. Next, John tells us that, On the last and greatest day of the festival, Jesus stood and said in a loud voice, Let anyone who is thirsty come to me and drink. The last verses of the chapter find the temple guards returning empty-handed, unable to arrest Jesus because... No one ever spoke the way this man does. The religious leaders reply in disgust. You mean he has deceived you also? And then Nicodemus showed up in the story again, publicly defending Jesus. Chapter 8, by the way, a chapter also well worth reading, finds Jesus back in the temple the next morning when a woman in adultery is brought to him. The religious leaders pressed Jesus to declare his verdict. Instead, he wrote something on the dusty pavement. And one by one, the woman's accusers turn and leave. After they'd gone, Jesus turned to the woman and said, Neither do I condemn you. Go now and leave your life of sin. Next, we find Jesus declaring to the people, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. His words quickly stir up an argument over the validity of his self-testimony and his claim to God being his father. The back and forth continued as Jesus struggled to help the religious leaders recognize who he was, but they simply refused. Jesus then turned to those who believed him. You hold to my teaching. You are really my disciples. Then you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. Then the arguing started up again as the religious leaders disputed Jesus' origin, claiming their heritage. We are Abraham's descendants and have never been slaves of anyone. How can you say that we shall be set free? Some lines later, Jesus got right to the point. You belong to your father, the devil, and you want to carry out your father's desires. He was a murderer from the beginning, not holding the truth, for there is no truth in him. Jesus is accused of being a Samaritan and demon possessed, which he soundly refutes. The verbal tussle continued, ending with this massive assertion by Jesus, Very truly I tell you, before Abraham was born, I am. At this, they picked up stones to stone him, but Jesus hid himself, slipping away from the temple grounds. Chapter 9 begins with the incredible story of Jesus healing a man born blind on the Sabbath. As you may have picked up by now, Things quickly descend into a heated argument over the supposed Sabbath violation and the legitimacy of the man's healing. The story begins quite simply. Jesus spit on the ground, made some mud with the saliva, and put it on the man's eyes. Go, he told him, wash in the pool of Siloam. This word means sent. So the man went and washed and came home seeing. End of story. Until the neighbors got in on on it trying to understand what happened. Then they brought him to the Pharisees, who concluded sharply, referring to the blind man's healer, this man is not from God, for he does not keep the Sabbath. After going around and around with the once blind man, even bringing in his parents as witnesses, the religious leaders accosted him. You were steeped in sin at birth. How dare you lecture us? And they threw him out. Jesus heard that they had thrown him out, And when he found him, he said, Do you believe in the Son of Man? As soon as the man discovered that Jesus was the Son of Man, he believed and worshipped. Chapter 10, another chapter well worth reading begins with Jesus rebuking the Pharisees. Very truly, I tell you, Pharisees, anyone who does not enter the sheep pen by the gate, but climbs in by some other way is a thief and a robber. The sheep would never follow a stranger. In fact, they will run away from him because they do not recognize a stranger's voice. A few lines later, Jesus declared himself to be the good shepherd who lays down his life for the sheep. He further declared, I know my sheep and my sheep know me. Just as the father knows me and I know the father and I lay down my life for the sheep. I have other sheep that are not of this Sheep pen. I must bring them also. They too will listen to my voice, and there shall be one flock and one shepherd. Next, we find Jesus in the temple courts for the winter festival of dedication when he's asked the question, How long will you keep us in suspense? If you are the Messiah, tell us plainly. To which he replied, I did tell you, but you do not believe. The works I do in my father's name testify about me, but you do not believe because you are not my sheep. And things got heated again. Jesus' opponents even picking up stones to stone him. Chapter 11 is the incredible account of the resurrection of Lazarus, a good friend of Jesus from Bethany who died of severe illness. When the report of Lazarus' terminal illness reached Jesus, he responded, surprisingly, this sickness will not end in death. No, it is for God's glory so that God's son may be glorified through it. He then delayed his trip to Bethany until Lazarus had died. While initially surprising, it wasn't long before Jesus explained, Lazarus is dead, and for your sake I am glad I was not there so that you may believe. Lazarus' sister Martha and then Mary both greeted Jesus on his way into town, expressing their deep sorrow. Jesus' ultimate answer began as a question. Where have you laid him? Jesus, once more deeply moved, came to the tomb. It was a cave with a stone laid across the entrance. Take away the stone, he said. After praying, Jesus called in a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. The dead man came out, his hands and feet wrapped with strips of linen and a cloth around his face. Jesus said to them, take off the grave clothes and let him go. This bold act, less than two miles from Jerusalem, set off a firestorm of anger among the religious elite which resulted in definite plans being made to arrest and kill Jesus. From that day on, they plotted to take his life. Chapter 12 begins with a feast we've heard of in Matthew, Mark, and Luke, the one where Mary poured perfume on Jesus' feet, wiping them with her hair. Judas, we discover here, was the one who raised the issue about how the money could have been given to the poor instead. Turns out, he was a thief, siphoning off the disciples' meager resources for personal use. Then this critical piece of insight. Meanwhile, a large crowd of Jews found out that Jesus was there and came not only because of him, but also to see Lazarus, whom he had raised from the dead. So the chief priests made plans to kill Lazarus as well. For on account of him, many of the Jews were going over to Jesus and believing in him. Next, we read of Jesus riding a young donkey into Jerusalem, recounted as well in Matthew 21, Mark 11, and Luke 19. Then Jesus told of his coming death. Very truly, I tell you, unless a kernel of wheat falls to the ground and dies, it remains only a single seed. But if it dies, it produces many seeds. During this talk about his coming death, in response to Jesus' request, Father, glorify your name, a voice is heard from heaven. I have glorified it and will glorify it again, though audible It sounded like thunder to the crowd. In this talk, Jesus predicted the compelling power of his death. And I, when I am lifted up from the earth, will draw all people to myself. He also warned the people to follow the light while they had it, because it would only be around a little while longer. The rest of the chapter is a discussion about what it meant to believe in Jesus including discussion about those who refused to believe as well as those who did believe yet stayed in the shadows because they loved human praise more than the praise from God. Chapter 13 begins with Jesus as part of the Passover celebration with the disciples, laying aside his robe and washing the disciples' feet, much to their shock, especially Peter's, who found it particularly difficult to permit Jesus to wash his feet. No, said Peter, you shall never wash my feet. Jesus ended this beautiful act of service with a lesson. You call me teacher and Lord, and rightly so, for that is what I am. I have set you an example that you should do as I have done for you. Very truly, I tell you, no servant is greater than his master. Now that you know these things, you will be blessed if you do them. Jesus then predicted his betrayal as found previously in Matthew 26 and Mark 14. After Judas left the room, Jesus had a few words with the rest of the disciples. Among those lines were these, A new command I give you, love one another as I have loved you so you must love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. Chapter 14 begins with these comforting words. Do not let your hearts be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. My father's house has many rooms. If that were not so, would I have told you that I am going there to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me, that you also may be where I am. Next, there's a brief discussion between Jesus and the disciples about where he's going and about their desire to see the Father, to which Jesus responded, in part, anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. Jesus continued, including these words. Very truly, I tell you, whoever believes in me will do the works I have been doing, and they will do even greater things than these, because I am going to the Father. Then Jesus moved into a conversation about his departure, the giving of the Holy Spirit and obedience. If you love me, keep my commands. And I will ask the father and he will give you another advocate to help you and be with you forever. The spirit of truth. The world cannot accept him because it neither sees him nor knows him. But you know him for he lives with you and will be in you. Chapter 15, by the way, a incredible chapter, or I should say an incredible chapter to read. Begins, I am the true vine, and my Father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit, while every branch that does bear fruit he prunes, so that it will be even more fruitful. Jesus continued teaching the disciples about being fruitful through living in connection to him. I have told you this so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. He also emphasized again loving one another and doing what he commanded. Then this, I no longer call you servants because a servant does not know his master's business. Instead, I have called you friends. For everything that I learned from my father, I have made known to you. Most of the remaining verses in the chapter find Jesus talking to his disciples about how to deal with the hatred that is soon to dog their footsteps. If the world hates you, keep in mind that it hated me first. If you belonged to the world, it would love you as its own. As it is, you do not belong to the world. But I have chosen you out of the world. That is why the world hates you. The final two verses find Jesus again promising the coming of the Holy Spirit. And that's all for today.